You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. It's only a kick, a jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the It's Always Draft Season podcast, part of the Packernet Podcast Network. Jake Chavink here, wishing you all a happy Friday. Uh, here, the weather has decidedly cooled off, uh, and we have really embraced late fall now in the 30s. Feels like football weather, and it'd be really nice uh, if the Packers were a contender at this point in such football weather. But alas, right now, the Packers sit... With the 10th overall selection uh, in the 2023 NFL Draft. So what better way on this podcast to keep it Packers-centric than kind of just go through, you know, what the Packers could do with a top 10 draft pick uh, in the 2023 NFL Draft. So that's what we're going to do today. And basically what it's going to be is going to be some prospect highlighting as well. And just go through a couple maybe scenarios for you guys uh, in the mock draft simulator I have up. I actually have two tabs for it so we can go through it two sims just kind of like project maybe a little bit or a lot of bit ahead and kind of look at maybe what could happen and what the Packers might do in certain situations so without further ado let's talk about a couple prospects here uh, I know Ryan highlighted a couple uh, earlier this week and I know he's not a big fan of the quarterbacks totally understandable I know that some of the top guys have a little bit of flaws um that's that's going to be the case with a lot of guys. There's no really true perfect prospect. It's very hard to find. Um, the closest we've seen probably in the last few years to this point looks like Micah Parsons, and he really wasn't the universally number one ranked player in that draft even, which is crazy to think about. So really what I want to do is I want to highlight my favorite quarterback in the class, and I think a guy who has now moved for me to QB1. Uh, I am now have Bryce Young ahead of CJ Stroud. So I want to talk about Bryce Young here quick and just, you know, give a little synopsis in a couple hundred words of kind of what I see from him and why I think uh, he's the top guy. First off, I think the the idea of him being an outlier, yeah, that's going to that's gonna scare some teams off. There's no doubt about it. Uh, when you look at, you know, who's in the top five right now with Houston, Vegas, Pittsburgh, Detroit, Carolina, Vegas and Pittsburgh may opt to not go for a quarterback, which kind of opens the door for teams to potentially move up. And that's kind of 
what the Packers might have to do to land Bryce Young, but I think it might be worth it. I know that the 2024 class is better. I 100% agree with that. Caleb Williams is a superstar in the making. He plays so much like Mahomes. Drake May looks very, very good as well. Um, he plays like kind of a, a thinner version of Romo, maybe with a little more... And then the arm, the arm's probably similar, honestly. He plays like a thin Romo. That's kind of what I see there. And then Quinn Ewers really plays like Herbert does. There are just arm angles, the velocity you can generate from those arm angles, just the poise that he plays with, the arm strength, the accuracy downfield. Like those three are top notch. So I understand if Packer fans are kind of wary of, you know, making a move in this class. It's totally understandable. And I get the hesitation, but I'm going to talk about Bryce Young now. So Bryce Young, to me, besides being that statistical outlier, sub 200 pounds, potentially sub six foot, to me, I think he operates an offense very much like a distributor, but very much has a handle on everything that's going on pre-snap. And what I mean by that is, you know, he's looking at checks, He, you know, he's identifying hot reads where blitz is coming from okay i need to make this read here you know if blitz is coming off you know the play side i can make this quick throw if i need to right i have this hot route but b he can also you know okay protection's wrong you know blitz is coming off a different side we need to slide protection left we need to slide protection right whatever it may be but he can adjust protection and he does that at the line you can see him very much in control of what's going on pre-snap and that's very evident when you turn it on with him and even things post-snap. I think he's a quick post-snap processor. I do. They do a lot of quick game at Bama out of the sh- out of the gun. And that, you know, gives Bryce Young the, the ability to not turn his back necessarily. He's able to identify what's going on post-snap in the process. Okay, is there any, you know, coverage rotation or guys dropping where, you know, they thought they were coming on a blitz, like all this stuff. Good at identifying that. And, and the progressions are there. He's, he's working to one side of the field. He's coming back over to the middle. He's resetting his feet, right? This His process post-snap is very, very good because his footwork mirrors, you know, his eyes very much so. And he's able to get there, one read, two read, even third read, and get his feet on, on, on the plane, on where it needs to be, to his target, make accurate throws. Now, I know the accuracy has waned a little bit this year, and I think it's important to remember a couple things. One, it's taken some time for him to gel with new receivers. The one receiver that he's really gelled with the most is uh, Ja'Cory Brooks, who was there last year. You have Jermaine Burton, who transferred from Georgia. Tyler Harrell, who hasn't played but transferred from Louisville. You have a couple young guys that are new. It's a lot of new guys at the position. So Brooks and, and Cameron Latu, he's trusted a lot. And I think it's important to note as well, that it's like, oh, well, isn't that on Bryce Young a little bit? Yeah, maybe, but there's a lot of drops on some plays that he's made out of structure. And what's very important is Jace McClellan is back this year. Jameer Gibbs transferred over. You see those guys having success, great rapport with Young. So I'd kind of put it on, this is a weak Bama receiving core as well. Two, don't forget about this. He had a shoulder injury against Arkansas, right shoulder injury, left the game, did not return, I believe sat out a week. So he's still dealing with a, a shoulder injury on his right arm. So I don't I, I think that's something where it's literally pain management and they talked about it. You know, with the injury, he's gonna come back, but there's gonna be pain management. It's not something that's gonna go away anytime soon. 
So that's something else to note. However, like I said, I like the post-snap process. I think he plays very much in control of what happens pre-snap. I think the footwork's good. I think he's got plenty arm uh, to threaten all three levels. There's accuracy to all three levels. And you've seen some really great deep ball moments, especially last year. And like I said, it's it's changed a little bit because we've seen uh, you know, some some misses, some miscommunications with some of the Bama receivers. But when he was on with Jamison Williams and all those guys last year and John Mechie, he's hitting it. And the other thing I think to note is something that, you know, I think we kind of overlook. We love the tools. We love all the tools and the athleticism and all that stuff, making plays outside of structure, accuracy on the move. That's great. That's all fun and good. But also Bryce Young plays with a ton of anticipation on the quick game slants, what have you, understanding, okay, this space is going to open up. I'm throwing to a spot against zone. But again, he's also throwing when guys are breaking. So that anticipation is huge for him. Now, I'm not saying the accuracy as well. You can point to and be like, oh, well, you know, he missed some throws against Texas. He did. He did. And that's totally that's totally fair to point out. Uh, but guess what? Guys miss throws. That happens. No one's 100%. Not everybody's going to be on target every single time. Do you think Mahomes is on target every single time? No. Is Herbert? No. Right. But the other thing I think with Bryce Young for me is besides the playmaking out of structure, which he clearly has, keeps his eyes downfield, can maneuver around rushers. He's not just bailing pockets right away necessarily. He's moving around the pocket. He's finding the exit lane and he can still square up and, and, and throw it on the move. What, what for me stands out the most is the memory of a goldfish and the poise in the big moments for him. And for me, that's where you look at him in the final drive against Auburn. Was every throw perfect? No. But when you needed to have one, it's, okay, I'm throwing this this over route to Mechie. The coverage is tight. I got to make this one. Boom, on the money. Right? Okay, I missed the deep throw the first time. Miscommunication to Brooks. We're going right back to it. Uh, back uh, Pylon throw, sideline throw, on the money, deep ball, pressure in the face. We're nailing it. We're going to overtime. Okay, he, he, can, he can elevate in the big moments. You saw him do it against Texas, right? Pressure coming, drops the weight, able to stay balanced against a, a pressure, free rusher, and is able to scramble for a first down. And I think people need to understand that scrambles are an important part of the game now. EPA on scrambles is much bigger than than some of these, you know, short dropbacks or EPA on run. So scrambling is a big part of the game now. You know, it's not going away. And I talked about though, you know, we talked about this if you remember back in August early September, we talked about, you know, oh, the NFL is moving too much to tools though, right? Everybody's moving towards tools and processing still matters. But we just talked about it, right? In control pre-snap, understanding, okay, moving protection, identifying hot reads, and, and making anticipatory throws, reading the field. And he does all that while also making some plays out of structure, drop the arm angles, poise in the face of pressure. That's why I like Bryce Young. I think he's going to be a fantastic leader at the next level. Can he out, you know, can he dispel the size concerns, right? That's the outlier he has to fight. I don't think there's any other major issues, in my opinion. So I'm on board with Bryce Young if they wanted to move up for him. Uh, that's one guy I wanted to talk about. So that's my spiel on Bryce Young. Let's move to Will Anderson really quick because I know, listen, we're at 10 right now. It feels a little insurmountable unless, you know, well, at three and nine, if the Packers get there, then we might be talking about top five, and then there's going to be a whole lot of possibilities, right? But Will Anderson, and what stands out to me 
with Will Anderson is yes. Ryan highlighted the tackling issues. That's definitely a thing, right? But I do think he's going to obviously be on the Packers board. And maybe not because maybe not why uh, the reason that you think he is. I think you know when you look at explosion to power, being able to uproot offensive linemen trying to anchor, right? Hand usage that you know he's got the forklift move that not a lot of pass rushers have, where you take, you go at the wrists of the offensive tackle, you push them up, and now there's no balance, there's no control for that offensive tackle, and you've got him basically beat completely. He as the explosiveness to to slant attack gaps you know when you're asking him to one gap but he's such a strong run defender understanding to sit and leverage in his gap the power you know to be able to engage and, and snatch push pull all that stuff he's very very good at it if he cleans up the tackling i think he has sufficient bend to work around the edge but the packers are going to ask him a lot obviously to not really bend around the edge and create necessarily openings exit lanes for quarterbacks they're going to ask him to rush head up on and that's what he does really really well can he can he offer some more moves yes should he develop more absolutely but he is a producer and we've seen him play at an elite level couple others that i really wanted to highlight though as well let's talk about jalen carter of course so yeah, he's basically, uh, when you look at the pass rush chops of Devontae Wyatt in college and the run-stuffing ability of Jordan Davis in college, that's Jalen Carter. And Carter packs such a ball of explosiveness and flexibility off the snap that you see him do that arm-over move really quick. You know, he's, he's violent with his hands, but he's also quick with his hands. He's going to get around guys if that's what he's asked to do, right? If he's up head-on, he has just incredible power at the point of attack. He can reset that defensive line of scrimmage. He's going to push the pocket. He's going to make quarterbacks uncomfortable in the pocket. You know, collapsing from the interior is is where quarterbacks get uncomfortable, right? And there have been defensive coordinators who have harped on that a lot. Mike Pettin was one of them who talked about that. Ballard and Eberflew have talked about, you know, when Eberflew was in India about the three-tech, and that's why they acquired DeForest Buckner, Right? Pushing the pocket is important. Jalen Carter can do that, but he's so flexible. He's so explosive, changing direction that you'll see him slant into a gap, split the two guys, the guard and center, and be able to plant with incredible balance, staying nimble and exploding off his plant foot to make plays in the backfield, TFLs against the run, you know, creating pressure. Just he, he has it all. And I understand if there are some people out there who put him at one ahead of Will Anderson and say, this is the best prospect in the 2023 NFL draft. I can understand that. I think he has an argument for that. I really, really do. And just the way he plays, the power, the technique at the point of attack, you know, he can toss guys out of the way. You know, he gets really low. He's, you know, great at getting and maintaining leverage at the point of attack. He is just a nightmare to handle for teams, and it's been very evident, even though Georgia definitely rotates a lot of defensive linemen in and out. So he's not getting like overloaded with snaps. Wasn't last year either. So he's going to be a little bit fresher um, when he gets to the league. But maybe acclimating to you know those 65, 70 snap games may be a thing for him. May have to just, again, a conditioning thing. But I, I for me, it seems like he's going to be up to the challenge. No problem there. I uh, wanted to highlight the two Clemson guys because I do think 
those guys are going to be in play as well. I mean, if Will Anderson's in play for you and you're thinking about it in Green Bay, I think Miles Murphy has to as well. This is that powerful, you know, run defending type, but has the, you know, incredible length to challenge offensive tackles, to, you know, to bust out the long arm move that Khalil Mack's really good at, right? But you see the explosiveness as well. And as long as he's not out of control, you know, as a rusher, and he can use that length to keep guys away from his frame and consistently do that, then you're going to have the total package really as an edge defender. This is another guy, again, a bigger, stronger, longer defensive defensive end. I mean, a la, you know, Preston Smith very much so, who has that length, who challenges things at the point of attack in the run game and, and really makes things difficult for tackles. He has the length to do that. But he's strong, you know, like like Zedarius, like Gary, like to just be able to, you know, say, I'm not being moved. I'm going to move you instead, right? You're, you have a head start of exploding out of your stance to come get me, but you're, I'm going to be difficult to move. As for Brian Brzee, he, again, embodies the, you know, athleticism, power, and length combination that makes him devastating. And just how quick he is with his hands to engage, how quick he gets into rush moves, you know, it can be the it can be the swipe and rip. It can be, you know, club and arm over, swim, whatever he's going to bust out. He's quick with it though. He doesn't take a long time. He's quick, but he's also staying on his line where he needs to be in his gap, attack. And, and he has been a nightmare for for offensive linemen to handle on the interior. He just is. Now, do the injuries matter? Certainly. That that he has had some big injuries. He's missed a lot of time in college. So that's something where, you know, teams may be a little more hesitant. But if you're the Packers and you're at 10 and Brian Brzee is there, that's going to be, I'm going to be hard pressed not to, not to make that happen. If I were, if I were Gutekunst, to be honest, because when you look at like, if you're going to stick in a lot of the five man fronts, if that's something that's not going away, whether or not Barry stays or goes, then to have Clark and Wyatt and Brzee is really dangerous. And you've seen teams, right? Jacksonville hasn't kept their guys as much, but Jacksonville consistently invests in the defensive line. You know who else does? The Philadelphia Eagles, right? They also invest a ton in offensive line. They're a trench-based, you know, philosophy in the early rounds, and that's why they've been so successful. Uh, so those are the four defenders I wanted to highlight, but also uh, want to talk about two more offensive players that aren't tackles. We'll get to tackles in a minute here. But I want to talk about Bijan Robinson really quick. Uh so I love that that Ryan brought up McCaffrey uh when he talked about him quick because that's really what he is. Uh a lot of people in the draft community would be would agree uh that he really is just a thicker version of Christian McCaffrey. We're going to call him Christian Thickaffrey, okay? That's what we're calling him. Uh that's the nickname uh, wear it out if you want to. But again, as a pass catcher, he's so natural with his hands. He goes up and gets and attacks the catch point. You know, he can adjust on throws to make plays. So he is really the full package. The route tree looks good. He runs that Texas route really efficiently. And he has, you know, as a receiver, the eyes, the ability to transition quickly into post-catch maneuvers. And that's what we talk about a lot with receivers as well, is how quickly can you, you know, position your feet, understand space, where you have to work with, when the ball is on the way, so that you're positioning yourself well enough to take advantage by knowing how defenders are moving, where the space is. He takes advantage of that as well. So he's really the full package as a receiver and then as a runner, my goodness. I mean, he's patient. 
but he understands, okay, where this, you know, either a backside is going to open up or, you know, I'm staying patient. I'm waiting for this, this space to open up. I know this lane is going to be there really strong there where he really hits his stride is he's got some short area burst though. I will highlight that he's not, you know, he's not the most explosive. He doesn't have the best long speed in the class. Certainly he will not, you know, when you look at other guys, Jameer Gibbs, Zach Evans, Corum even as well, you know, there are a lot of guys with, with game breaking speed in this class. Devin, a chain is, is one at Texas A&M. He's like five, 985, but he's, you know, a sprinter basically, but with B. John Robinson, it's how, it's how he forces missed tackles in space. And he does it in a variety of ways. You know, he's not afraid to drop the pads, drop the shoulder, you know, and be able to survive hits with great balance at contact to keep himself going. He can shrug off a lot of those, you know, as well. He's got he's nimble enough and he can, you know, get airborne if he needs to, to to avoid some shoestring tackles, effective with a stiff arm. But what really stands apart is how creative he is with footwork. And, and it's, you know, as receivers as well, you got to be deceptive. He really is. He can he can really feign explosive cuts and string them together to make defenders falling all over the place, and and that's very evident. You know where he you get him on stretch plays, and it's like all right, one on one with the DB, can I make this guy miss? Absolutely. And there are times where, and, and I know people are very upset with his performance against Alabama. There are times where Bama's got every gap set. They're so sound, and B. John Robinson says, "Yeah, I'm getting five yards anyway." So he does just really no weakness other than long speed in his game. Does he bounce out some runs? Yeah, maybe a little bit. You know, he he wants to get upfield. He wants to be able to, you know, create as much as he can. But he's a really, really strong player uh, in that aspect. So there's really just, like I said, there's not a weakness with him. And if the Packers, you know, decide, you know what? A.J. Dillon, it's not working. Let's go B. John Robinson, Aaron Jones. I'm in. I'm in. I really am. I'm in. Um, even coming from someone who didn't like the A.J. Dillon pick. So there you go. Uh, we're going to take a quick break here, uh, and then we're going to come back. And like I said, I'm going to talk about a few more guys just more in-depth than we have to this point. Um, talk about them as potential players at 10, and then we're going to quickly run through a couple scenarios to see what the Packers might do. You know, right now they have picked 10, but obviously we'll get to plenty of scenarios down the line, but just want to do this for fun. So let's take a quick break here. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. 
Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com All right, back here on the It's Always Draft Season podcast. Uh, so want to talk about Quentin Johnston first, the wide receiver from TCU, who is definitely leapfrog to wide receiver one for me and for a lot of people right now so what comes to mind is let's break it up into uh pre-catch catch point post-catch really quick and just talk about what he what he does well and what needs to be improved on okay so pre-catch uh have some questions first of all let's start with the questions i know it's not often where we start but against press i'm a little worried about plan of attack i'm a little worried about you know Late hands, slow hands to to adapt and counter when when guys are jamming him. So that's something where, again, when you haven't faced a lot of that, you're in Big 12 play, they throw you in the slot, you're on the perimeter still, but there's a lot of soft coverage. Dealing with press doesn't become your forte. You don't, you know, you, you can simulate it as much as you want in practice until you really face it. That's where you start getting experience. So he needs to be just, again, quicker with his hands because if he if he's not he gets stuck in the mud even as even as explosive as he is and then there's timing disruption and that's not what you want to see in an offense now again the NFL plays a ton of off coverage there's a ton of soft zones you need to be able to find space in there and that's what some of the best really do in this league and that's totally fine but if you want to be a wide receiver one in this league and somebody's in the playoffs right you're in the postseason and say all right we're manning up now and people are going to man up the Packers, right? They, they don't believe in, you know, Watson or Dobbs necessarily or Toure or some of these guys to separate one-on-one. They don't believe in it, right? You have to show people that you can do that, that when you're manned up, it's time to win. And so where he does this well pre-catch is, and it's something that receivers are taught, is every route is vertical. Every route's a go until it's not, right? And so what that means is, is, off of the snap, off of your release, the first three, four steps are at least three, four steps are, man, I'm taking long, explosive strides. I'm going to make guys open up and especially works with deep threats, right? Because everybody is scared for them to beat you down the field. Everyone is scared for it. Tyreek Hill is so good because he has the speed threat and he can decelerate, not give up too much yardage of a displacement when he decelerates and works back to the football. That's that's something you have to have as a vertical threat. Quentin Johnston does do this, and he's a he's very good at four or five steps of vertical explosiveness, gear down, and sit and wait for the ball. Now, he's got the big frame to handle the catch point, but he's really strong with that, pressing vertically, gearing down, getting out of the break as quick as he can. Again, for a 6'4", 200-pound player, gearing down is impressive especially with how many steps he does it I was critical a little bit of Christian Watson because he takes like especially in college he took like seven steps he had like four to five yards before he could get out of the break and so that disrupts a lot of things right and not everybody's going to be able to do it but if you're an alpha if you're going top 10 I want to see that especially if you're you know if you're a big guy 
it, it that's a just kind of an added bonus, right? Julio Jones does it really, really well. Calvin Johnson did it well, right? Metcalf can do it. So, like, Quentin Johnston can do that. And when it comes to the catch point, he attacks it. You know, he's got the wide catch radius, strong, can handle contact, catch to contact, catch through contact. He's got it. The catch point, not an area really of concern. Maybe you'd like to see him, you know, with some reps on these back shoulders, be able to adjust, you know, tiptoe the sideline, stay controlled with the body. But, like, he does that at the catch point. He's very, very good there. Post-catch, he is a nightmare because he's so explosive. The acceleration is instant. And what he does really, really well is he can take a peek. He turns his head, shoulders one direction. He squares up the feet. He's got them both in the air at times. And he's able to, when the before the ball gets there, he's up in the air. He plants both feet and he's able to explode out of the break. And what that does is that gives you a little bit of advantage to, again, see surroundings, you know, you know, where a defender was leveraged before you turned to the ball to be able to like, all right, he's going to overcorrect this direction. So if I turn my head that direction that he's moving, I'll be able to snap it off, explode out the break, and I'll have a lot of open space, right? So he takes advantage of that with, with the catch to attack conversion. He's very, very good in that aspect. So I, I'm very pleased with what I've seen from him. I want to see those press alignments. I want to see him be a little bit better in that regard. Texas might man them up a little bit more on Saturday. So, you know, little preview. I'm not doing prospects for Packers this week, but that's one, again, you want to get familiar with this guy. Texas might man up a little bit more this week because they're they're not going to back down from this matchup. So really good idea of what Quentin Johnston can be. He's had some he's been hot, he's been cold. He's kind of been a little bit of high variance too with terms of production. So it's something to watch. But big fan of him. All right, let's get to a couple tackles here. We got to talk about uh, Olumuyiwa Fashanu, uh, Olu Fashanu as well. People have shortened it. I don't know if he will want it shortened uh, during draft time, but Olu Fashanu is a really impressive tackle. He's just 19. You know, we're we're waiting to see if he declares. But where he where he thrives is as a pass protector. That's where he's thriving. Uh, is he the you know top notch athlete at the position? Not necessarily. I think he'll be good enough though, where the Packers will. You know, see enough athleticism, be like, all right, we're taking advantage of this. We'll take him here. Sneaking suspicion he's going to be available if he declares at 10 or 9 or wherever the Packers are at. That's in the top maybe 13, let's say. Because I think a lot of people are going to flock to Paris Johnson because, A, he was a five, Paris Johnson was a five-star recruit at tackle. People like the high recruits. That's a thing. Trust me. Uh, so and, and Johnson's done a great job of moving, you know, right guard to left tackle back to a natural position, was developing a couple bad habits at guard. Now he's back at tackle and, and he's thriving. He, he's quick. He can shuffle. You know, the lateral quickness is there. He's not crossing his feet. Forks very good. And, you know, and he lacks the, and he has that frame and the power to be able to withstand those explosive to power rushers. That's something that Olufushana does really well, too. He, you know, Footwork's very, very good. You know, you see the variety of sets with him. He can wide set into 45. He can vertical set, you know, whatever he needs to do to be able to handle rushers. His test against Ohio State was a really good indicator of, okay, you know, I, I've beat, can I recover? I have the recovery athleticism moving side to side. I'm able to reset my hands. I can gain leverage back. I have the ability to anchor. I have enough power, you know, in my lower half to be able to withstand some of this. He really put on a display, and, and he had to handle, you know, Zach Harrison and Jack Sawyer and, and JT Tumaloao. 
So three guys who, you know, Zach Harrison, we'll see where he goes, maybe top 100. But Sawyer and Tumaloao in 2024 are going to be top-notch prospects. He did a fantastic job. He can move people in the run game. He isn't the best with angles. Needs to work on being able to cross-face a little bit more. Uh, he does that thing that you've seen some guys do in the process where you're like, oh, he kind of turns his back, but he's able to just kind of shield the player from the play. That might not. That's not going to work as much at the next level, but... So the run game is something where you, you look at and maybe there's some improvement there. So who were we talking about that that kind of had that last year? Well, Abraham Lucas is one. Abe Lucas from Washington State. Can he be good against the run? He looks just fine. He's a great pass protector in college. That's what he was in the leech offense. You can teach the run game. You can teach the people move. So I think the Packers should be in play with him. I mentioned Paris Johnson. He's doing well. Peter Skaronsky, the one thing is the length, the arm length. Is it going to matter? He's super technically refined. He picks up the stunts. Football IQ is top notch. You know, he can down block. He he is ferocious as a run blocker. Pass protector, I think the one thing is, again, is length going to give up some leverage concerns? You know, turning the our teams to be able to turn the corner on him. He's a good athlete, but you've seen some more explosive guys be able to turn the corner on him. Can he handle it? Can he work with that inside and outside arm to be able to control, you know, the inside moves? He, he's good there, but can he control with that outside arm, you know, to be able to just kind of get guys off their track just a little bit to make things more difficult. That's the couple things with him. Can he handle length? Can he handle speed? I know those are two big things, but it's not like you're seeing him lose-lose every every single time. But in college, you know that that margin gets smaller in the pros. So that could lead to a higher percentage of, of or a lower percentage, I guess, of pass block win rate, uh, another metric that's really good to use. That's the question with him, right? So Skaronsky might be in play. Broderick Jones from Georgia is another one to watch for. Uh, you know, a younger player as as well, like Fashanu and Johnson and Skaronsky. All these are young guys at the top. He's the space blocker supreme. He's a great mover. You know, can we see better technique with hands and pass protection? He he's very much just trying to overwhelm guys with power. There's just, you know, the hand hand placement isn't always the best it's a little inconsistent but I, I will say the athletic traits are, are there the upside is there with Broderick Jones so there's a lot of guys that in, in play for the Packers in the top 10 so let's talk about how things could go really quick and we'll kind of wrap this up here so I'm going to do one of these we're starting off uh Houston's first they're going to take let's say CJ Stroud let's see they go with you know the the size is good you know he, he's a really good college prospect Let's go there with with him. Vegas decides we're good at quarterback. Let's take Will Anderson. Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh will probably lean tackle or they'll lean Jalen Carter. I think Carter's the better player. Uh, it's not a premium position, but he's a premium player. So Stroud, Anderson, Carter off the board. Detroit's probably going to go QB. I could see Detroit going Will Levis, not Bryce Young. Um prototypical size in that Kentucky offense that's really mirroring NFL offenses just reminds me of a player they'd like if they like Jared Goff um, I'm not saying that's correct but there you go Carolina at five would then take Bryce Young so that top five feels pretty good pretty locked in the Philadelphia Eagles they're probably going to lean Miles Murphy uh, that's they they're going to invest in defensive line they always have that feels like where they would go Arizona's kind of the wild card. They could just surprise everybody and take Quentin Johnston, even though they continue to invest in receiver early. Let's give them 
Joey Porter Jr. at corner. They need some corner help, but they could go offensive line. We'll do offensive line in the next one. Uh, but let's give them Joey Porter Jr. from Penn State, the corner. Jacksonville at eight is is the real question. Uh, what will they do? A corner just came off. They could go corner, though. But I think if they're, if they're going, if I'm going to go with what normally they would do, I think Brian Brzee is the guy for them. So let's go Brzee. That leaves Chicago in front of Green Bay, who needs receiver, who needs edge. There's no real edge guy there that they would take top 10. They could go tackle, though. Tackle is something that they probably still need. So let's, in this scenario, give them Paris Johnson Jr. Okay? Now, that leaves, for the Packers, at 10, a couple options, right? Olufashanu, Peter Skaronsky, and Quentin Johnston. So in this scenario, we'll give the Packers Quentin Johnston from TCU. We'll go receiver in the first round, even though they don't do that. It would seem like tackle makes sense, but again, you need more help on the outside. So that's how that worked. We got Quentin Johnston. He's joining uh, an explosive group of pass catchers. Um, so that's that's pretty good for Green Bay there. All right, we're going to go kind of a similar route in the top five. I think the top five feels unchanged. We're going to go Stroud, Anderson, Carter, Levis, Young, Philly, all right, Philly's going to do a thing that you might not expect. They're going to luxury select here. What I mean by that is they're going Bijan Robinson at six. That seems crazy to go running back that high, but they can afford to do so with the team they have and another first-round pick in their back pocket. So let's give them Bijan Robinson. That opens the door for Arizona. Uh to potentially go Miles Murphy, but I don't think they're going to. I think they're going to take... Let's go tackle here. Let's let's have them take Peter Skaronsky in this scenario. Okay? They'll like him at potentially at tackle, but they say, okay, this has been the top offensive lineman. He's doing really well. You know, we're not concerned about the length. We'll give him that. Okay? That gives the Jaguars the option to go corner if they want to, but let's say the Jaguars take Quentin Johnston at 8. Okay, that leaves Chicago. What will Chicago do at nine now that Johnston is off receiver and the top potentially the top tackles off the board as well? Well, Chicago has often said that they, you know, if it's not receiver for them, it's edge rusher. So for edge rusher, we're going to give them Miles Murphy. You know, obviously just traded. They traded away uh, Robert Quinn. You know, they need to improve up there. They don't go offensive line. So now Packers have some choices, right? I think the top three choices for them in this scenario, Paris Johnson Jr., Olu Fashanu, and there's Brian Brzee sitting there for them at pick eight. Or at eight, sorry, not pick eight. At pick 10, he's ranked eighth right now uh, on the mock draft database simulator, the consensus board that's kind of pooled. Uh, together all the mocks to see where guys rank so that that gives them a lot of options now something we haven't considered is corner right if if rasul douglas can make the transition to safety in this scenario maybe that's something they look at i think they'd look at christian gonzalez from oregon over everybody else but maybe they do maybe they do slide him with joey porter jr but let's let's stick with what we know 
I don't think they'd take Michael Mayer in the top 10. That feels very rich at tight end. I like Michael Mayer as a player. I don't think they do that. So that leaves Brzee, Fashanu, and Johnson, right? I like to lean def- offensive tackle over defensive tackle. Okay, so I'm going to give them Olu Fashanu, not Paris Johnson. That gives them a dynamic pass protector. So there you go. There are a lot of options for the Packers, and you see them Right, because, again, there's going to be surprises. I didn't really give a lot of surprises in either of these where you're like, oh, that can't happen. You're going to potentially have a couple tackles on the board, maybe Quentin Johnston, and you could potentially have a Clemson defender available for you. Now, again, maybe a safety shines for them and they look for that, but the Packers might, with the top 10 draft pick, also move back if they feel like somebody wants to come get a tackle. Somebody wants to come get a receiver. Jordan Addison feels like the other guy who could be the the round one guy. Jackson Smith and Jigba's missed a lot of the year with a hamstring injury. He hasn't. He also hasn't played a lot on the perimeter. He was a ton of snaps in the slot. Almost, you know, I think in the 90, 90 something percent, he was in the slot. So, but if somebody wants to come up, get an edge rusher, you know, get a receiver, get a tackle, they can make that move, and the Packers can move back, accrue some capital, and, and do do it that way. So that's another scenario for Green Bay if they have a top ten pick and they feel like all right. You know, we wanted Bryce Young or we wanted Carter or Anderson and we don't feel like anybody else we want is there. We can move back, you know, get in the late teens, early 20s, potentially be aggressive on day two where we want to be. So there's a lot of options. And obviously we're talking about this, you know, five months plus away, but just a good idea of kind of what the top 10 could look like there and how Green Bay could attack the draft. So there you go. Hope you enjoyed a little bit on some of the more in-depth synopsis on prospects. We're going to try and do that a lot more. I think this time around is Mason's season is almost over um, in the college football world. So he should be back probably in December. So we'll be able to start maybe giving a lot of synopsis on these guys. We'll maybe split things up and just maybe react to each other's evaluation and maybe throw some stuff in there. But we want to give you guys really in-depth looks at a lot of these prospects even before things kind of really get underway in January so you guys will be able to have the kind of leg up as listeners of this podcast to other Packers fans who are like what should we do in the draft you'd be like all right well here you go I've got some guys so we'll hopefully give you guys that that kind of head start at a lot of these positions like I said we're going to dive into a lot of them this is going to be a very interesting offseason especially with a lot of big contracts to sort out and to you know potentially extend guys so be a lot to talk about so we'll we'll, we'll be heading uh, uh the draft front of course so you can follow me remember at jake nfl draft on twitter twitter's getting weird now but got a lot of other things working on too on youtube Substack, and a lot of writing so check it out there but if you go to my twitter you can find all that i'm gonna get out of here enjoy your friday enjoy your weekend maybe the packs can pull an upset against dallas but make sure to watch some prospects on saturday as well I will see you guys uh, next Friday. Um, Take it easy.